This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. D20 Radio, your gamer's role. you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca. Welcome back to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. Before we get into everything, before I introduced hosts, plural, that are with me today, we are a member of the D20 Radio Network. If you're not familiar with the D20 Radio Network, you should go out to their website and figure out who they are and what they do because they talk about and connect all kinds of podcasts to you, the listeners. Today, we are shouting out my favorite non-werewolf podcast, Opcast, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum, which is a podcast about Eon, Adventure, Aberrant, and more, all kinds of amazing Trinity Continuum podcasts, and I am one of the hosts over there, so yes, I'm talking about myself and promoting myself, but they are a member of the D20 Radio Network. You should check them out. Today, I am joined by Carrie. Carrie, how are you? I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm fighting a little bit of a headache, so... I'm I'm ready to to chew on this book. Awesome. And I'm joined by Jim. Jim, how are you? I'm doing great. I just rented my way out of a Weaver prison and I am ready to talk about it. How the Weaver is definitely the villain of Werewolf the Apocalypse. Yeah, we all know that. And for that matter, the wild. They're (laughs) all bad. (laughs) Awesome. So in case you don't know, we have a Patreon. You should go back the patreon and become a patron of werewolf the podcast and then join our discord and talk about all kinds of wild things that we talk about and wormy things that we talk about it is definitely a fun set of discussions today we are on in one number keeping system we are on our hundredth episode in another number keeping system we've got like six or seven episodes before we hit number 100 it it's weird, you know, but um, that's how this podcast rolls. If we're at our 100th episode, it's really fortuitous because we're at Werewolf the Apocalypse Revised Core, which is very exciting because this is the book that got me into the tabletop version of Werewolf the Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I played the Red Book LARP version yeah. of Werewolf first, but this was my first tabletop experience. And wow, it was fun revisiting this book because I really remember why I liked the game from this book and where I got the idea that the Weaver was the villain because this book says so like 30 times. So that was really helpful. What's funny is the book says so and then goes, but not really, but maybe. And you're like, oh, come on. Exactly. White Wolf Unreliable Narrator. Mm-hmm. Like Josh, this is where I this is where I first played the werewolves, not when I met mm. them in the dark ages. But when but November 2002, I ran the first Jason Sterling, who occasionally appears in a world of rage as a cameo character, first stepped into the world of darkness. 
and he and his pack um, made many attempts to bring the world back into order, and it didn't always work out. This book uh, is credited to. Um, this is a, this is a very interesting way that people are credited in this book. They are not credited. No one is credited as a writer. There are created by people and revised edition authors. So the created by harkens back to the previous two editions, the folks that were involved in the development of the book, um, which is a lot of people, including Bill Bridges, Mark Ryan Hagen, um, and others. I'm just going to say and others, but there's lots of great folks. This edition was written by Deirdre Books, Brian Campbell, Harry Heckle, Heather Heckle, Forrest Marchenton, Matt McFarlane, Dina McKinney, Kyle Olson, and Ethan Skemp. And it was developed by Ethan Skemp and edited by Carl Bowen. And there's lots of art. I'm not reading all the art people. Just to say lots Rude. of people were involved with this. All the art in this is great, though. So <laughs> all is. the artists are deserve the credit. I'm just, there's like 30 of you. So it, that's what happens with a, a core book. There's lots of, you know, names in there. But I really like the revised editions of these books because of the way not just they were written but the way they were put together the both the vampire and the werewolf book have like these um metallic sorts of uh, material for the pages the, the werewolf one is golden throughout like there's this gold not leaf but like this golden sort of um finish to lots of the pages which is really, it makes it feel really nice to flip through it. And it has lots of fiction in that gold leafy style. So um, that's my like initial thoughts. What are your two of yours thoughts on, just on the book in general? I only get two? No, no, you, you oh. the two of you, you oh. have, can have as many thoughts as you want. Oh, <laughs> well, first I'd like to talk about the cover. Sure. You always skip over the cover. I do intentionally because you are going to go back to it. It drives me insane. I love this cover. Yes. It is so iconic. Yep. I actually think visually it is more iconic than the vampire rose on the marble. Mm -hmm. Because like I, I have, um, you know, rose on marble just means it's gothic. You know, and you know, like I, I know people that are into that type of thing that don't play vampire and they don't look at that and go, oh, it's the role playing game. But everyone that sees those four scratch marks, those claw marks, that is it, it is all. I mean, we even have the four uh, claw marks on our discord. Right. And it's just like, oh, yeah, werewolf. Absolutely. Rage. Like, it's perfect. Um, it's the symbol for rage. It's what we're doing in this book. But, we but are I mean, raging across the world. Right, absolutely. But even like visually for someone who doesn't play the game, like it, it is like, it's an aggressive uh, a cover where you look at this cover and you go, oh, I don't know what this is about. Like if you don't read the actual title, but like there is something with claws that is trying to get out of this book. Yeah, there are it, monsters here. Absolutely. And and I love the colors of the of the cover because it's so aggressive and it doesn't quite match, but that's what makes it work. That purple and orange and like rusty colors. Mm -hmm. It's it's wonderful. And and I agree with you. I actually when I looked at the inside, like the uh uh what are they called? The pages on the paneling. 
no, the covers, the inside cover. Oh yeah. Which are really nice. Aren't they? Um, yeah. It, yeah. It's beautiful. I think those are, uh, I didn't really dissect the glyphs that are in there, but I think those are the, uh, prophecy of the Phoenix. I think you're right. Yeah. Looks think, like the prophecy. Um, but that, and then all of the other, I actually don't see gold. I see copper and I don't even know why that, that feels more, more it. And I don't even know why. Cause there's like a little bit of a, a dinginess. You might be right. It might be copper. And I just had it in weird light. Um, yeah, that's very, definitely yeah. an interesting metallic yes. color, whatever I, it is. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love yep. it. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. I looked at that. And I also feel the same about the claw marks on the cover of this. There's because unlike the vampires who get to pretend that they're not because they still mostly human werewolves don't have that luxury. We're monsters and we know it. We're monsters and we know it and we're okay with this. And the, for me, the red of the, the rusty reddish orange strikes me as fresh blood. Like we've just clawed something open sure. and splattered its remains over it. Um, I think the copper is actually a missed opportunity. Why isn't it silver? See, it's Why not silver, it silver for the love of Luna. It's not silver because they did that with vampire already. And that silver and black works really well for the feeling of vampire, the masquerade revised edition. And I hear you, Jim. But I know that from an aesthetic point standpoint is why they didn't do it. Go ahead. I go. also think that the copper feels a little more earthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so like I understand like thematically that makes sense. Why wouldn't it be silver? But maybe it's because they want werewolves to be able to pick up the book. There is that. There, there is, is that. that. Not everybody has a silver tolerance, Merritt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Usually we go through these books chapter by chapter, and I'm generally going to stick us to that sort of how we're going to go through this. We're going to talk about it a little bit by little bit. I want to start by talking about the prophecy of the Phoenix because it is slightly different here than it is in the first edition book. Not massively. There's just a couple of different words. And I really like that because I think it's just a typo. But it reads to me like oral tradition being put down differently. I like just I like the way this book starts. It um, it is a very meta plot heavy book without without being grossly over the top with the meta plot, you get the sense that if you know who these people are in the vignettes and throughout the book, that you're learning, you're like, oh, there's things I'm learning about Albrecht and Mary Cabra and um, Evan Heals the Past and Antoine Teardrop. And I could go on like there are lots of these figures who are referenced here in really important and big ways. So if you're it is useful to get this just to know what the meta plot adjustments are for this game. If you're a new player, though, it's just neat to read. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't met most of these signature characters before reading their vignettes. And the, I mean, I wanted to call out the story that precedes the reading of the Phoenix because an excellent place to start. Yep, I agree. An absolutely excellent place to start. Evan heals the past talking a cub literally through the first change and the nightmare thereafter. Which Sounds is, like a fantastic way to start. And it's a great reflection of the second edition book 
which is about Evan heals the past going through his experience as a lost cub being saved by Jonas and Mari. And it is a great callback to that moment. So I love the idea of it. Mm -hmm. I do not like the execution. Okay. Because when you read it to me, it's like, so you've become a werewolf. (laughs) Let me talk you through this. Like it, I don't like the uh, that that type of narrative where you don't hear the other person talking back. Because mm-hmm, sure. like you, know, the next paragraph will be, "Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Let me reframe the question that you know, like rephrase the question you just said." Like I understand that that is a a uh, storytelling mechanism that some games use, mm-hmm. but because this is such a long story that you know introduction. For me, it got tiring. That's totally fair. And it's sad that we didn't get the comic like we get in a lot of the other books. Yeah, I missed the comic. It would have, it's a great story that I think would have worked better as storyboards for a comic because then you could have done that and it wouldn't have felt quite as clunky, like you're saying. Yeah. And that also said, I still like the story. So I think it's fair. be, but it's not that it's bad per se. It's just like, you know, you got to enjoy that type of story. So to get I into love it. the art. I mm-hmm. love the art in this section. Oh my God, yes. The, the art, art there is extraordinary. The art throughout the, this book is extraordinary. Amazing. This is some of the best werewolf art. I, I know that it uses some Ron Spencer pieces, but it uses them. I don't dislike Ron Spencer. <laughs> but Ron Spencer is not my favorite werewolf artist. He's either great or for me anyway, like he's either really amazing and head perfectly, you know, perfectly hit or you go, oh, no. And and most I think most of the stuff in here that I saw of his was really good. Exactly. And the other stuff all complements the the story really well. When it's frenetic, it doesn't feel overburdensome. It feels like these are rage-wielding monsters moving fast. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And then when you have a set piece, you really feel like there's a lot of depth here and usually a lot of really like deep blacks and whites. Um, most of the art in here is black and white. I th- think occasionally you'll have some of the copper pieces, but I actually like how they use the black and white art in this. So... Since we're talking art for a second, sure. I had wrote this down and it's, I think it's in the first chapter. There is on page 28 and 29, a piece of art that travels across the spread, the yep. two pages. Mm-hmm. And it's like werewolves on the left and they're looking and then there's a city with like towers and, you know, smoke coming out of on the right. And it was so funny because I stared at this piece of artwork for, I don't know, 10 minutes. And then like my, my poor husband was like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, is this Zipatone? And so if anyone knows what Zipatone was, it was a type of uh, shading art that it was stickers that people would cut out and lay over so there would be a tone mm-hmm. on pieces. Uh, it, ma- it was made really, really popular by comic books and like Ninja Turtles especially. Yep. And I don't necessarily know that this was actually Zipatone, but it is trying to look like Zipatone. And it was the only piece that really stuck out as, to me 
as that. And it just made me laugh so hard because it was like so out of the blue. So I'm awesome. being a nerd. Sorry. Yeah, I no. made a note for that for that art piece for a different reason. Because it, it felt like a callback to the uh, artwork in the Werewolf the Dark Ages book that I that we that Josh and I had read together. Because yep. a lot of the art there looks similar in, to at least the werewolves on the werewolf figures on the on the left, I recognize it's like I've seen those shapes before. They were dancing across my Werewolf the Dark Ages book. And so I, I know the same artist came back. Exactly. I was just gonna say, yes. I think it's the same oh. artist. And what? no. <laughs> let's start in chapter one. There is a little bit of an introduction here, but I think let's start in chapter one. Unless there's a strong opinion about the introduction. I, I have one more thing to say, and it's not really about the introduction, it's about yeah. the credit page. Go for it. Because I thought it was super funny that they have a disclaimer saying that there's no such thing as werewolves. Yes. And there it was is. like, whoa, thanks. It just made me laugh because I don't remember oh. seeing that specifically in other books. On that note, chapter one, A World of Darkness. This is our introduction to what is the world that werewolves exist in? What is um, What does it look like for them? What does it mean to be a Garu? What are some of the basics? We have some great art here that uh that really just fills you into the world and the glyphs are all used in the background so super well i'm sure this pdf looks like junk oh, yeah. so if you're reading this on a pdf <laughs> i'm sorry but the physical book looks so nice that i would tell anyone go and find a copy of this even if you have w20 because this book is just such a nice book to have on your shelf. Um, I know there's a limited edition version of this too. I almost want that just because it's uh, it would take this to the next level even. But yeah, like, but would you even open it up? I would, would never open it up. It, right? So it would just be a waste of money. But which defeats the purpose of a book. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so what are your to uh, what are you what do the two of you have thoughts on in this first chapter i have one thing that i want to talk about um but i want to hear your basic thoughts on chapter one well as a flyover of the werewolves world this is a really good lore this is a basic bite-sized chunks of lore um the stuff that they put out here is basically here's the high level of everything we're going to cover all of these topics more in depth in future books and supplements but really, here's what you need to know, except there's a few things that it's missing that you need to know. They tell me about the different, for example, the moots, remember for our moot, uh, our, our galliard rants on moots. Yep. They get, this is where I pulled my information about the specific tribal types of moots that we never got to talk about. Yep. Because they were, because we were cut for time. But the, they gave me really good information on what a different moots look like at different tribes. But they did not give me the basic structure of a moot to run such a moot, no matter which tribe is running it. They will in the Storyteller's Companion. The Storyteller's Companion, which is <laughs> next week or the week afterward, I will be discussing that with the uh, the guest host who is going to be joining me for that. Right, um, right. But it's like, it's like the, you give me things when most of what I need here to have a basic understanding of the guru world. It's the guru version of Natural, National Geographic for understanding things. Um, I didn't like how the way the litany i did appreciate that the litany was called out once again as an epic poem yeah because if you're going to make an 
my i guess it's too much weaver in my head but i have trouble believing that you could have an oral history that lasts ten thousand years without serious transcription errors sure serious serious transcription errors but if you make it an epic poem you can at least preserve the gists of the stories even if all that time and what do we cite as our moral code the morals of the stories in the epic poem are our legal code perfect great i love the conceit here but most people don't know it because they just get told these are the rules they don't get told what are the stories behind the rules right one of these days i want someone to write me a full version of the litany so that i can tell these stories at my moots and so forth and actually cite them as as fact and so forth it but when i read good the, to the, even have the like, reality section what's that i said it would be good to even have like one example poem here that then they say this part of the litany comes from this example poem they don't right. ever do that it would be kind of nice it would be, be fantastic the other thing i read though is i read the law and i read the reality and i'm like wait a minute you're telling me the youth of the tribe or the of the nation are basically taking our ancient laws that have governed our nation for 10,000 years and essentially forgive my french pissing on them it's but, like come but, on guys but no yes because yeah. that's what you should be doing as a werewolf because the the conceit of the the game is that you are pushing back against all of the negative elements of your culture that are actually holding you back from this goal of protecting Gaia. That said, Carrie, I want you to uh, tell us your thoughts on this chapter. <clears throat> I agree. This is a, this whole chapter is just like a, a very boiled down version of, of everything. Like, you know, like shrinky dink it all. And, um, you know, and it's fine. It, you know, I, I think that the order this book is put together is interesting because it's not this, it doesn't have the same cadence as all of the other books before it. Mm -hmm. You know, they, uh, they kind of give you a boiled down version of everything at the very beginning of the book. But then like, you don't even have a lexicon until like page 50. Right. Right. And so then it's like, well, wait, you know, like, shouldn't that be like the first thing? And I, I don't know, like, I, I'm sure for a first time reader that wouldn't bother, any of that wouldn't bother them at all, the order the book is put together in, but having read all of those other, just having read all of the other werewolf books and then coming to this, I was like, but I'm, I'm waiting for what, you know, why is character creation right here and not in the back of the book or whatever, you know? So that was kind of strange been into werewolf as long as i have um you know like you tend to go oh i already know all this i already know all this and then like as i was glancing i was like i completely forgot that there's a type of mood that's just a hearing right i completely forgot about that so that was kind of cool like it was it was a neat you know like okay maybe i don't remember everything <laughs> For me yep. too, it was very good to deep read this again, because you're right. I remembered one where I found some things where I thought like, hey, this has been stuck in my head. Oh, it comes from that paragraph. And also, oh no, I didn't remember that at all. Um, one of the big meta plot things in chapter one that you learn about is the stargazers have left the Garu Nation. 
if you've been paying attention to the tail end of second edition stuff, you knew that was going to happen. That, that's been presaged, but now it has happened officially in the setting. You also, we learn about the lost and fallen tribes here who in previous books, we sort of get bits and pieces of them scattered throughout. Now it's like, hey, here it all is in really condensed form. Very condensed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they gave, it, they but, gave us that. But it's enough. It's, it's, great, it's good stuff. They gave us a condensed version of a world of rage a few pages later. Right. When they gave us an overview of, oh, wait, here's what the guru are actually doing everywhere in the world. Thanks. Right. right. And you guys for listening to me on that one. They um, gave us rage across the world, the whole book for it. But then this condensed version is actually enough. Like you don't have to necessarily read that whole book to you, you could run from just this bit oh, yeah. and be good. I mean, the bits they give us about guru culture that's that if you that you need to know to preserve the feel of the guru nation like you give you 12 different howls mm -hmm. because of course guru communicate through howling they tell you how the howl sounds they tell you what the howl can communicate they tell you when to use it and how to use it i mean i love some of the way that they put some of these the description my favorite of course is cry of elation which is as some elders put it watch me do something incredibly stupid the only thing that I don't like, and White Wolf has done this throughout, but one thing I really noticed in here is they tell you about Pentex, who Pentex is from the top down. <laughs> I would have really preferred if they had just re referenced, hey, Megadon is a thing, and Endron is a thing, and not connected the dots until you get to the storyteller section later and be like, these are all Pentex subsidiaries. Yes, we all know that as nerds of this game, but it would have read better if it felt a little bit like we're going to filter these into for you little bits and pieces. Well, yeah, they, they, as much as this book tells you, you know, show don't tell. Right. They tell it you. Tells. A lot. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> <laughs> they tell you a lot of stuff. I mean, you, you read this and you have a real good idea of who the werewolves enemies are that they're not supposed to know about. Right. Werewolves right. don't know what DNA is up to. Right. But at least with DNA, you don't get there that infill to the storyteller chapter, which we are going to touch on. But let's get to chapter two. We've kind of burned through chapter one. Good art. Some of my favorite art and werewolf is in this book. Just oh, say. Oh, I mean, there's really. one more thing. One yep, more go thing. Ahead, I was super excited. So at least I think I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at writing down what chapter everything is. I just write down the pages. Mm -hmm. uh, when they talk about Antarctica and, yes. and the dancers... <laughs> they i because i'm it's always on my radar now because i think it is the most fascinating thing that white wolf has ever tried to do they talk about the dancers like finding like an undercover secret lost world mm -hmm. underground and i desperately now believe that it's the aliens the underground aliens yes it's the vajunka and the uh, the aliens yes i know yep, yep. I'm, it's i'm just excited whenever i find anything with that has the word alien in it or even remote i'm like there it is yep. yay jim <laughs> if you are not aware there have been aliens and werewolves since the beginning and we have uncovered them we have found the secrets carrie has, has proven proven it i am molder okay 
Uh, I'm 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 hanging on the last line in that paragraph, which says, "Anyone wanting to confirm this myth is welcome to die trying." <laughs> really I want to run that plot so badly. <laughs> I want to run. If you want it, I promise I will bring you a F Fenrir Berserker who will be only too happy to find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that brings us to chapter two. Chapter two is about the Garu. It starts off with the breeds. Um, you find out about the, the Hamid and the Metis and the Lupus. Um, you get all of that information. There is a sidebar here I really like about wolf years and about how um, you, you know, mature a little bit faster as a Lupus. And then um, you slow down when you become a werewolf, when you, you know, go through your first change and everything. That's just unless, of course, you took the flaw wolf years, which is which more fool you if you did. Right. But mm -hmm. like super good to call that out. Like, I really like that that gets a sidebar. So mm -hmm. I found that the concept of that aging is really hard for some players. Yes. Like uh, when, when I, you know, and I know it's a LARP, but, you know, the, the same concept applied. One time we had some new people come in and our alpha was a lupus. Mm -hmm. And what they said, how old are you? And he said, I'm three years old. And the player went, I can't do this. This is weird. And they couldn't, like, they were not able to role play it. Like, they, they yeah. could not, they just couldn't. So, like, I like that they address it and are at least trying to help some people through it. Because, you know, yeah. other people have had that issue. I was not just my one player. You know, it, so. it is a cognitive block for us because when we really think about maturity through a human lens and when we think about dogs and wolves, it's fine to be like, yeah, they're three years old and they're definitely an adult, but like you're a werewolf and like you're an adult, but are you? And it, it yeah. does get into, it could be weird. If you make it weird, it could be weird. Yeah. They made it weird. Yep. So. Yep. Happens. <laughs> I, I would if every time I've every time I've attempted to play a lupus, I have never really in my mind succeeded at playing a lupus. But every time I have attempted to play a lupus, I have tried to lean into that. That every time I encounter some new thing about the human world that makes no sense to me, that I have to lean into. You don't know this because you didn't grow up with this. This is a new concept. It's not inherently monkey wrong. It's inherently monkey's weird hmm. let's go with that let's lean into that line of it true the apes are weird and they add extra stuff when they don't need to which is also why i'm bad at playing lupus because when i talk i add extra stuff when i don't need to like right now <laughs> fair <laughs> enough so after the the breed section you get the, a really good uh single page spread for all of the auspices the art here is very anime i can't remember oh, who the artist so is anime. for this but it's very, this is the same artist that does some of the exalted art later on. And I don't hate I knew it. You, I recognize the style, mm -hmm. but it is, it is so anime. It's not funny and it doesn't quite match the rest no. of the book. Oh, it doesn't. I actually wrote down that they all look like they're bad street fighter characters. Yes. Yep. Like the yep, artwork isn't matter. bad, but it doesn't fit. Yep. It, do, it, it may not fit, but I like it. And this is what, it, it, and I remember these particular pieces standing out to me so strongly because they were something different from the rest of the book. You guys have put your finger on why it is. I'm like, now I recognize that style. Mm -hmm. It comes out of Exalted. Got well, it. Exalted will come out of it because or rather Exalted... Exalted will come out of it. Same. Yep. 
Or maybe they were at the same time because it's about no. the same time as first edition was being written. Ex well, maybe, maybe. Well, Exalted doesn't come out for another year or two, so it might have just started to get. Anyway, we are not the anyway, systematic anyway, understanding anyway, of other things. Yep. <laughs> uh, tangent. Tangent. <laughs> the auspice section here is good. The content is good. You really learn a lot, a, a lot about the auspices, and uh, I think it's really good that they kind of undercut some of the stereotypes of them and give you advice on how to play a ragabash well but still it's like hard i it's hard to play a ragabash without being a stereotype it's so. hard to play in a room without being a stereotype yep it, it's i mean the auspices that have more range are found in the middle the one and the theurge has a whole lot of stuff in their toolbox the galliard is a historian a lore keeper and a teacher all in one the philodox has to see both sides of everything and sort out truth from lies which means they're both an investigator judge and jury so they've got a lot on their they got a lot on their plates naturally yeah. with the with the, with the ragabash you to play them well is difficult and it really requires the right kind of player the auspice of the arun Got to play it like a war leader more than an individual war because all of our guru are individual warriors. And then you've got to think Theurge is more than just the person who talks to spirits. They're your diplomat in the Umbra. They're your pathfinder. They're an explorer. They're a spiritualist. They're a shaman. They're a healer. They have all of those elements under their thing and more. But yet, Everyone can dip into a little bit of every auspice. There's nothing saying a guru who's not a theurge cannot be a talented ritualist. There's no reason why a ragabash can't be an excellent hand-to-hand -hand combatant. And there's no like, reason. What I like too, and you're right, you're absolutely right about that. What I also like is they give you really strong rules in this system for renunciation. Yeah. And they give you a, yes. the, the right of renunciation and I, it's referenced three maybe four times like this is a thing that happens in the Geru nation it's not great but it is the thing that happens and some Geru do it there is a a point when they're talking about renunciation in this book that they talk about how if you reach the rank of what you were before when you renounced you could go back to what you were and I've never seen that like I didn't remember that right reading that from before and like I've never seen it role played it was always like you are a new person, you're screwed, you know, like you're screwed and at the bottom and have to start all over again and don't and get any of that back. And so that was kind of like a weird, I, I don't know if in uh, books after this, if they just kind of ignore that sentence. It's like, I don't remember that. I don't either. And it's weird because in the, in the right section, it's like, you, once you've done this, you've done this right. and you're not going to get to do it a second time. So it is it, that is a really weird line. I remember that as well, and kind of was like, I don't, I don't see that Where happening. Is that? Where is that? Do you? you could, uh, what, I don't I've got it. That. When I get to it, I'll be able to tell you because I wrote it down. No worries. That uh, comes later. One eighty-five. Mm. Whatever. Whenever. Wherever that is. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. But I, yeah. I, I want to put a pin in that because I've I've never heard that one before. And it I was remember strange. Reading it. Right. It was strange. So after the auspices we get into the tribes 
And this is like, for me, always the, the these two pace spreads are the meat of the, the character creation stuff. Like I really like reading them. The art here is very werewolf, the apocalypse Like it just is absolutely the art I expected to see. Um, I want them all to wear more clothes. Yeah, that is, that's weird. It, it is a thing, though. It is a thing that we have from the beginning. I'm a werewolf. Let me take off my shirt. What? Right. No. Hey, that's you're supposed to rip it off when you transform, not be dressed like that beforehand. Even the bonar is wearing <laughs> a crop top. You know what I mean? So, you know, it is a thing. You got it tied to the side. Yep. But like this, I love the the. Uh, the tribes I don't want to talk about any of the tribes individually I just want to say that I love them from this book if I just had this book on all the tribes I would have everything I needed to run a, a child of Gaia well everything else from here is gravy from a layout standpoint there's a lot of dead space on some oh, of these <laughs> and that always baffles me like it doesn't not bad it's just like Clearly, some tribes got more writing on them than the others. And it's fine, but it's just an interesting choice. Like the Fianna has like almost a quarter of a page, just blank. Yeah, it's like, why did you do that? That was a waste, especially when you have so much to talk about the Fianna. And um, but but I also feel like I've got enough on them there. That's okay. Like I didn't necessarily yep. need more. I got everything I absolutely had to to understand who they are in this. All right. I want to find the wit, the wits behind all of these stereotypes, because they always found the best ways to express their opinion about each other. I mean, of <laughs> course, my favorite, by, my favorites by far are found in the Silver Fang section, where they're talking about the Shadow Lords. They have that lean and hungry look. We'll put them in their places needed in March or any other month. <laughs> it's like, thank you, thank you for the good reference. I really appreciated it. <laughs> I do have a question about this book. Sure. Are they particularly hard on the red talons in this Incredibly book? Incredibly hard on the red talons. Like, the, like in, in when they're way back in the in the first when they talk about the tribal moots, they're like, yeah, red talons. They make fun of Christmas by murdering people and decorating Christmas trees, and it's just like, holy crap, that's a, the wheat. That's wormy. Yeah. Like that, that is bad. Like if any other guru walked in and saw that, they go, you're a bunch of spirals. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. So, like, like there's like not a lot of like, why would you let anyone play a red talon at, by just reading this book? I wouldn't. There is a, a fan theory for lack of a better way of describing <laughs> it, that the red talons were being set up to fall to the worm. Yeah. And reading revised, you're right. Whoever's out there, you're right. They absolutely were set up to false the worm because multiple of their camps, their man-eater camp is explicitly called yeah. out here. They are about the Impergium still. They are um, really like close to falling to the worm full stop. They're very angry. Yeah. And like that, that, that is a choice. Like it's not... Yeah. It's not vastly different than earlier versions of the Red Talons, but it definitely leans into, hey, just so you know, these guys are probably going to fall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that uh, That's just, I've never liked the Red Talons as a tribe. When I met them in the Dark Ages, they sounded like they were making too much noise about nothing. But 
in this time, it's like, okay, okay, you were right. We let the humans destroy far too many wolves. Your, your kinfolk got decimated. We screwed up, okay? That doesn't mean you'll get to murder all the humans left. That doesn't mean you get to, the The purging was still a bad idea even then. So let's not go back to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, you're, you're not supposed to like the Red Talons. I have never met a Red Talon player character or non-player character that I actually like. Chapter three is character and traits. It's just, it is the character building chapter. Um, all I'm going to say is this is the, this is a great layout. It shows you a sample character sheet. It gives you step-by-step -step instructions on in how to do it and then gives you a great character creation summary of everything you absolutely have to just, if I'm going to do this real quick, I can write everything down and make a character from this. This is how a character creation chapter for a White Wolf game should be laid out. That's my opinion. It's bold. I know it. Um, oh, yes. It's, it's very cutting edge there, Josh. Um, <laughs> as usual, the strength of the White Wolf character creation chapters is not in their mechanics. Right. It's when you turn over to page 104 with questions and answers. Yes. Which if you walk through this, if you walk through this part, the part that builds the concept, the part that builds the person that the werewolf used to be before they became a guru, that's where you find the real strength of White Wolf system because they're really good at helping you develop a concept for the character that animates them. Yep. And that's where that's where I found the strength of White Wolf role-playing games in particular because you, the, I love my D10 system. I love rolling fistfuls of dice. I love the range of successes. I love the experience system that lets me grow in any direction I want to go. But when you get right down to it, the experience of the game is in the role-playing. The role-playing comes from the characters. The characters come from the concept. So you got to build a strong concept first. Gary, thoughts on this chapter before I actually close us off with one final thought? I know, already. <laughs> um, already? Oh. <laughs> We're just done with everything? Um, no, I mean, it's character creation. I actually wrote down the list of questions. It's the best thing in here. Mm -hmm. And that's absolute, you know, he's right. Like, it is, I hate I hate creating characters. Mm -hmm. I know I've stated this before, but I had a, a, bad, uh, a bad decade of people running games making me make a character and then never getting to play it mm -hmm. and so i have i just ha i hate making characters it, but having a list of questions like that you know what's your day job like what do you, you know tell me about your childhood like that always helps so much in creating a character and i think that uh it is really helpful and useful to someone who's never role played before there is another thing in this chapter that I did not realize was really useful for understanding that you should hate the Garu world because <laughs> each of the little um, mechanical things has a vignette, a little like fiction, yeah. two paragraphs ish for most of them. Sometimes a paragraph, sometimes three in a couple it really is very clear that the Garu nation is broken in this fiction. It is very clear that like there are some horrible people in the Garu nation based on these little bits of fiction. 
I hadn't read these in a long time because I usually just flip through them going, yeah, 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 I don't need the mechanics if I'm in this section. I think it's really useful to get a sense of like, oh, this is how people are. This is what I might do if I was a character in this situation. It's a really good bit of world building that I think is, is something that would get overlooked very easily by an experienced person reading this book. Fair. Which, yeah. so there are parts of this book that make me go, why would I want to play this game? Like, yes. I, uh, I actually think that's a very valid question insofar that like, I've been reading lots of these books and in some ways I never want to play werewolf again and I'm running the game. <laughs> but like, I love this game for the things I love about it. But then I remember as I'm reading these books, like, oh, these are the things that I don't, that make me go, mm, no, I don't want to do that. Well, I think that in general, uh, when the entire world of darkness was created, players were meant to play clubs and cubs and Clea. Mm-hmm. Vampires are meant to play neonates, right. you know, player, you know, like you are meant in particular. To, yeah. Anarchs in particular. Thank you. Thank you. And um, like you are meant to be rallying against the higher ups to change what is in place. Exactly. And I think by this time they've lost that a little bit. Like mm-hmm. you're still meant to play these lower level characters that are, are fighting again and trying to change the system, but they're not telling you that anymore. Right. Like they've somehow lost that in their narrative. And, and so like, it gets like, people are like, but there's, you know, you know, elder gifts. I should be wanting to get to elders so I can get to elder gifts and have these powers. And I should be able to blow people's heads up by looking at them or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just frustrating. Cause it's like, it feels like they lost a little bit of the spark. It's funny because it's there. It's there if you got to dig for it. You do have to dig for it because they're a little bit. Yeah, I agree with you. They're a little bit less uh, oblique. Um, That's not the right word, but that is doesn't actually even mean what I said. Like I'm trying (laughs) to mean make it mean, but they're not quite not uh, not quite as obvious about. Yeah. Hey, this is the thing. Which I think they're trying to just kind of let you make your own story as you're comfortable. Mm. If you want to be a bit like heroic werewolves you can do that in this setting and it sort of fits and i know jim that your preference is to be a we are the heroes and doing the good thing and i think that's totally a valid way of playing this game it's just not the way it's particularly written if you really dig into it you can't the thing about it is this is the only world of darkness game you can play like that I really think that all the other ones are more or less about you becoming terrible and making the world worse. Mage, Werewolves you can also be good guys. That's just me. You, you can, yeah, but you have to work at it a lot harder because you're busy being corrupted from within by the fact that I am I have godlike power and I can rewrite reality at whim, almost. Rage, if you don't, if you don't count is- paradox. Rage is really corrosive, though. That's the thing with werewolves. Like, rage, some, as someone with anger management issues, anger is really corrosive to your sense of self, your sense of responsibility, your love for the people around you. If you don't control it, you do things or you think things that you are really uncomfortable with. And just this, that sense of, like, uncontrolled aggression 
can be really internally and externally corrosive. And I think that element of rage gets lost in the storytelling of we are great heroes, which is okay. I'm not saying that's not a valid way to play any game because you're playing a game. Do you really want to be like, you've got anger management issues and now you're dissecting yourself in a therapeutically like RPG context? Maybe that's okay, but not always. And like, I'm all for self-reflection in RPGs, but also knowing maybe I don't necessarily need to investigate that also. That's right. Um, This is also as someone who has, shall we say, a lot of issues with the fact that emotions are come from the lizard brain and override the thinking brain. And I really don't like the fact that mine come in one flavor only, and that is max passion. So sometimes I find werewolf and cutting loose with rage against things that actually deserve to be raged against very cathartic. Sure. And that's in valid. all the right ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's valid. And I think that's the part that people latch onto from a play standpoint. Carrot, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, like, I actually think that, especially for Werewolf, that that is supposed to be the first, like, thing you get out of it. You have all this strength and this power, go do some good with it. Right. And that's amazing. But then they layered on top of it all the sept politics mm-hmm. and the tribal issues. And, you know, and so, like, it just depends on what you want out of your Werewolf game. Right. What you can get. Because, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I've played vampire for a very long time as well, and the politics in werewolf have always trumped the politics in vampire. Absolutely. Well, because in the in werewolf, when you're mad at somebody, you can literally call them out and settle it in a challenge. When you and, when somebody does something awful to you, and you have also, a redress. But it's also dangerous to do so, because you might die. You might be like, I'm in the right, I'm going to challenge you. In Vampire, you'd have to do that subtly and take away their, like, you know, their influences. And yeah. blah, blah, blah. In Werewolf, you can make a bad decision and get killed. End of story. By and the good vampire, guy. You do the, in Vampire, By you have the, the same risk. But, but it's different. different, though. Yeah. It is different. It, you know, like, I, the amount of player deaths caused by other werewolves was way higher always than higher. it was in, in a vampire game yep oh yeah i've lost more werewolf characters to other player characters mm-hmm. than i have lost vampire characters to other player characters yep we've i think all of that is really useful context <laughs> show Chap- the core book <laughs> Ch- chapter four is gifts and rights i actually sat down and read the gifts folks oh I, wow, great. I don't do that in most of these books. I kind of flip through them usually and go, you yeah, yeah, yeah. You warn me stuff. about that in the dark ages. I might not have spent so much time <laughs> prepping that. <laughs> it, it is what it is. Um, I'm just going to say there are some tribes and some auspices that get really great <laughs> gifts and some that just don't. Some that just get a pile of crap. And Hi, I'm a Galliard. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> and like the Bonars get a mix of crap and interesting stuff and like they're used to it right Uh like it's you get a lot of context for how the tribes actually uh exist by the gifts they have it's i really enjoyed it 
I wish they had given me the same little fiction bits they gave in the uh, other section, even just at there's the top a lot of, of the. Yeah, but there's a lot of. Do you have any idea there. how much fiction there's... that would have been? Well, it, it didn't have to be before every gift. It could have just been before every section, like for the Ragabass section, for the Silent Strider section, so forth and so on. That would have been cool to me. All right. So I have a question for both of you. Yeah. What's your favorite gift? Oh, that is so hard. I know. Mm. Um, you can I give two. If you can get two, you give two if you need to. I actually had one the other day that I was like, this is my favorite gift, and I've forgotten which one it was. Um, I'm, I'm going to say because Iron Can't Bite's not in this edition. Um, right. <laughs> Iron Can't Bite's not in this edition. Um, God, if I have to pick just one, if I have to pick just you. one, it is, it. well, if I have to pick, well, it's not in this one. Dang. Okay, it's not in this one. All right. <laughs> well, that makes it a little easier. Um, I know it's in the player's guide. That's right. It's in the player's guide. It's a Silver Fang gift. Sidestep death. It's a mm -hmm. favorite trick of mine. Um, but actually, from a straight-up utility perspective, um, I usually, all my characters always pick up Luna's armor as soon as humanly possible. Fair. Because um, my first character prime directive is always make it so the character can't die, or at least shouldn't die easily, so that they can so that they can live to be a great role-playing experience for longer. And also because I find character death particularly traumatic, even as a role-player of 20-plus years, watching one of my beloved characters die is a trauma that I will never get over. I will never forgive you, Mike! That stupid, stupid thing! I will never forgive you! You killed Arthur! You bastard. Anyway, um, this... Yeah, okay. that, that was Carrie, like 15 years ago. I think we just unpacked way more than we meant to <laughs> yeah, there! Like... Um, the, but yeah, that one, uh, if I have to pick an elder gift, it's got to be pause the newborn cub because That's a good one. no That's a good power. One. Yeah. 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 Face me so, with nothing. Right. <laughs> I, I was in a LARP org at the time that this book came out and mm -hmm. it was a very large one. Mm -hmm. And they decided when this book came out that they had to have a large storyteller meeting of everyone, including the vampire players, which was straight or the vampire storytellers interesting so it's like everybody showed up and it was my first ever experience with the rules of is it roberts yeah Law or yeah. you know so like roberts i had no order. idea mm -hmm. yeah so i had no idea what was going on i was like why people why are people just not talking and figuring this out and i have never seen as many storytellers stand up and scream about one single gift as they have paws of the newborn cub because the vampire storytellers were so terrified of this gift. Yep. Like they were just like, we can't allow this in our organization. And like, and it was so funny because all the vampire storytellers were, yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very fun. But my favorite gift in, in probably in all of werewolf, because I love it so much is gift of the porcupine. That's a good one. It's so great. Yep. Because it's so, because you still, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. I'm like, hit my character. Give me a, you know, gore and horrible. And like, I want to come home and cry. And you're like, that's just how I, you know, that's the type of role play I enjoy. Like I, you know, like I almost always play underdogs. Mm -hmm. So that way I can claw my way to the top, you know. Um, and gift of the porcupine, like just, in, you know, like. I'm prickly. Give me a hug. Let's go. Like I, I've always enjoyed it because it's just silly. 
Because like I always imagine it looks silly too when it happens. Yeah. I, I played a ragabash who had it, and she would always uh, stick her thumb in her mouth and blow when she popped them <laughs> yeah. because it was stupid looking, you know. And so nice. anyway. <laughs> so my favorite gift is friend in need, mm. which is a bonar one. Yes. And not because I like how it works mechanically. I actually think it's really clunky mechanically. But the idea of, of Bonars looking around at their pack and going, I need to help by giving them this thing that I know. Yeah. And it's a, only a rank three gift. That is, it's really useful for a rank three gift. I Again, mechanically, I would adjust it a little bit to make it a little bit easier because it requires like three different actions to do, three different yeah. like things you have to do to do it. But like, the ability to share here is this gift that I know temporarily. Now you know it and can use it. Super utility gift well, right there. And it's super bonary too. Yep. Yep. It just mm-hmm. screams bonar. Like yep. and we're all in this together. Yep. I I think it's super good. Um Fair. we get rights after this. This is the largest until we get into W20. This is the largest group of rights you're gonna see in a single place. I Read all of these too, which again, most of the time I just kind of scan through rights and go, yeah, yeah, I, I remind, reminding myself this thing exists. <laughs> these are all really useful again for understanding the Garu Nation and how it works and the different cultural elements. So it's a good reminder, like the gathering for the departed is something that should happen whenever a character dies, NPC or otherwise. You should see this regularly in a werewolf game because someone's going to have died. Yep. Right, right. What I love as a storyteller, rights are more important to me than gifts. Yeah. And I make sure that, I mean, in the last Dark Ages game I've run, one of my things that I did was I made sure the guru had a basic education in a handful. Everyone is like, you have to take this much level of rights and here are the basic rights that you're going to be taught because this is part of the transmission of guru culture. This is part of the transmission of our relationship with the spirits because the spirits power the rights. The rights allow us to do to fulfill our role and do what we do for Gaia. It is a never ending cycle. Uh, I love, I don't know if it, the quote is in here, but it's, I remember reading a quote somewhere in werewolf that rights are a connection of the past to the future. Mm-hmm. And there is a, the belief that if you perform the right, the same way your ancestors did, you'll pursue, receive the same results and you will in a sense be joining in the dance of the guru since forever and which a dance which will continue until the apocalypse and hopefully beyond so that's why i think rights are so important as a storyteller and as a player they provide a lot of utility that you're not going to find other places and the in particular things like everyone should know the mood right everyone should know the cairn rights that allow you to open the cairn because otherwise you don't understand what the point of a powerful cairn is. Everyone should know right of cleansing because what is your first tool for cleaning up the mess the weaver, the worm leaves and everything to do with it. 
And there's lots of those in there. But Carrie, you have something that you want to add here. Well, I, you, you probably know this. I love I love rights because you can um, adapt them as well. Like right of cleansing is like one of my favorites just to give to new players when they go and then they go, well, how like how would this be acted out? And I go, you tell me. Mm-hmm. And then they're always like, what? And, you know, I mean, I've seen players who carry used to carry around uh, salt shakers. And they would just salt things that they wanted to be cleansed. Um, I had a I, I I had a player who had a lupus character who would pee on the ground. <laughs> he was also a ragabash, to be fair. But like you know, like and, and like and then you could see where like you know like uh, it, it was really interesting because then you can see the auspices shining through the rite of cleansing or the tribe shining through the rite of cleansing. And, and it was always different for everyone. And it was just kind of like a neat uh, flavor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. One of my favorite bits of flavor from the dark ages game. I cite that I played in was when we visited a get a, when we visited the sept of Magnuson and our rite of cleansing was you get tied up to a spit and rolled over a fire while the, Corruption is literally burned out of you and you sweat it out. <laughs> it that's like that's such a get thing. It's such a Fenrir thing. Okay, hold my clave. Fine. I'm used to this. I've done this before. <laughs> but yeah, so, it's the flavor, it's the flavor of the tribes that comes through in the way they do the rites. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna jump two chapters. We're gonna talk chapter five and six are the rules. If you want to know how to play this game, read these two chapters. They're really good. You learn about rage and gnosis and how to use them and how combat works and all of that. I don't want us to delve into that because we're, we've done episodes where we've talked about how those things worked. Um, we can at some point do a combat uh, chapter, but if you really want that, listen to A World of Rage, the uh, actual play, because you'll hear combats eventually. Um Chapter seven we're is the get next. That on a more regular, we're, I have it on good authority. That's going to be on a regular release schedule in a more in the near future. Right. <laughs> chapter seven is the next chapter that's got like interesting content for us in it, and that's the Umbra chapter. Um, what I like here is that it gives you the creation myth. I actually think this is the first time in this book you get the full creation myth. It is, and that's why it's weird that it's so far in back in the book and not near the front of the book. Yeah, that I agree with you, but I also kind of like it because they give me all of the cosmology in one place as opposed to me having to like filter through the whole book to get it. And I really get a sense of the religion of the Geru from this and the fact the Weaver is the bad guy from this. Yeah. Jeff, go ahead. I have a question for you two. Yeah. Uh-oh. Which came first, the triad or Gaia? The triad. In this book, it gives you both <laughs> options. And it says you could do either way. And that's okay. And I have always run the triad came first. To me, that makes sense. It's weird that Gaia and then the triad. I love that in this book, they, well, this book does say, most guru believe Gaia came first, right. but there's a very small faction, which, you know, but this book then also hints to the fact that there could be other Gaias out there. Right. And other like sets of like werewolves out there or aliens. aliens You're like, yep. 
it it really like I love that it made me super happy the other thing in this section that I, I want to point out real quickly because I was dying is uh they they talk about how the Umbra is this strange place that they could never ever ever have a map of ever <laughs> right until I they have do. it hanging up behind me like right. they they've already printed an Umbra map so like it was just kind of like a ridiculous thing. I was like, hey, husband, have you ever heard of an Umbra map? And he's like, I'm looking at it. <laughs> okay. So that was kind oh, of. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, I love the Umbra. It's a storyteller's toy box. Yep. Mm. I want to run anything. I want to pull, I don't know, send the player characters back to, I don't know, the Wild West and have them relive some of their ancestor memories send them forward into the into the dystopian technological future oh there's an umbral realm for that yep. and if there isn't an umbral realm for that oh bam it exists now because i said so and it's like this is a delightful delightful toy box that i didn't realize all the potential of the umbra when i was first running werewolf now it's like i can take any excuse i can to throw you into the umbra because the laws of reality stop being a thing or they become much more malleable, or they become different. And it's so much fun to play with that. I became a way more dangerous storyteller when I realized there was a TV realm. Right? <laughs> That's a good one. Yep. The, the, the thing that I like in here is how well this chapter moves from seg segment to segment about the Umbra but it doesn't spend too much time. One of the things that I get kind of bugged with the Umbra books is they spend a bit too much time. <laughs> this is actually most yeah. of the time all I need unless you're going to give me something new. Mm -hmm. I, I, the Atrocity Realm probably only needs a paragraph and then as a storyteller, I can generate the atrocities I want my characters to encounter there. But then it gives us things like the membrane between the near and the deep Umbra and the deep umbra and what that means. And it's like, it's just enough again for me as a storyteller to go, now I can project a story forward from here. Mm -hmm. There is a piece of art that I'd like to talk about real quickly in the umbra section. Um, it's kind of the, the creation. It's about the tree growing on the great turtle and the, uh, you know, the, the world above, the world underneath. But it just, it's by, by Cobb. Um, so mm -hmm. it's that style. Um, but I, I just, I can't help it. Every time I glance at it, it looks like a slice of pizza. And so like, I keep going, oh, there's pizza in the umbra. <laughs> if you don't get to your umbra realm in 30 minutes or less, it's free. And like, it's destroyed. Like, and I hate it because it's a great piece of artwork, but like, it's kind of like taking this like weird humor to this whole chapter that like I keep looking back and going no I can't do it yep sorry thanks everyone. Carrie no I can't unsee it yes <laughs> so <laughs> with the umbral pizza being explained to us <laughs> we get into my absolute favorite oh my god I forgot this section of this chapter the umbral travel section there is a oh, yeah. single paragraph that talks about gates Yeah, that I completely forgot about. 
that I need to use this now because this is so cool. This idea that there are these physical gates that connect maybe to the penumbra, but also potentially to deeper realms on earth. That's super cool. Like, yeah, you have the, the uh, hell hole that goes straight to Malpheus, but like, what about a gate that goes to the TV realm <laughs> or somewhere even weirder? There's so much cool stuff you can play with there. This yeah. is your like uh, wardrobe into Narnia storyline. If you want to tell it like, and then you've got a permanent way of getting to place. I'm there. I'm that. I'm, I love it. Yeah, no, it's fun. And like, this is the type of thing you forget about that's in a core book that when you go back and see it and you're like, oh, wow, I mm-hmm. forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes werewolf isn't about fighting and drama. And sometimes there's a little bit of goofiness or like, just take the door. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. And it's like okay we've got to go on this huge umbral quest to blah 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 and then like your grandmother's like i've got a door to that place in my backyard (laughs) oh thanks grandma and it there's so much storytelling than you can do from that where you're like Mm -hmm. where did this come from and like what does this mean you can do uh, it's another Narnia reference. When you get into the later books of Narnia and you realize like where all this stuff comes from, where the wardrobe comes from and what it means, other than it being a, a Christian allegory, it is a really good, like, oh, there's actually, like this dude actually thought about all the metaphysics of his world yeah. before putting this wardrobe together. I, I'm a Tolkien nerd too. So all of that stuff I love. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the section where we discuss the triad in particular because mm-hmm. I think it really does a good job of emphasizing they're all bad in excess. Right. They're all the enemy. You, it, the, this argument between werewolves about uh, the weaver versus the worm. No, they're all the enemy. If you let too much wild go loose, you lose all cohesion. If you let too much weaver, you calcify. If you let too much worm, well, you know what happens. We live in it. Right. So (laughs) it's, uh, and the thing is too, again, like I am harping on this, but you get just enough of that. It's not too much. It's not too little. And the same thing with all of the rules for spirits. I have enough to make my own spirits in here, but then they give you like sample antagonists later on too, where they like put it into action or like, this is what a, this is what this Bane would look like. This, right. like, it's just, there, there was a reason I, for me, revised is like the pinnacle of White Wolf's stuff because the books aren't 600 pages long. They're well, just big enough that I can give to a player and the player doesn't feel overwhelmed, but I still have enough to run everything I need to out of the, out of the single book. If I, if everything blew up around me tomorrow and I had only one RPG book to play, I don't know if I would choose this one. Oh no 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 no! Don't don't call a disaster like that <laughs> down. But I could grab one revised book and play games for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's that's a pretty good way of putting it because I have just enough of every. Because by the time revised rolled around, they've been making games for what 10, 15 years now. Ten years. Yeah. Ten years now. They've they've refined. It's called revised for a reason. 
they've refined their craft. Mm -hmm. They've taken their raw ideas they've had since first edition. They've put them through a lot of editing process. They have streamlined it down to what we need. Not just, and they've left us enough room that they can write more books, but they've given us enough to get started. And that's what this book is supposed to do. Give you enough to get started. Yep. And that it does. So let's move on to the next chapter, the storytelling chapter. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about the running artwork throughout this chapter, which I figured Carrie would definitely have some opinions on. Because oh, yeah, yeah. I, I looked at that like, there is a, basically, as you flip through the chapter, you're watching a pair of Guru take down a worm monster, and it's got the transformation sequences, it's got fetish use, it's got blood gut score, and the occasional uh, maiming of everybody involved, and ultimately the worm beast gets <laughs> trashed, so all, all, all good, all good. Well, what's <laughs> nice is it, it's a nice nod to the original fight of Albrecht and Mari. Yep. Um, Which we get referenced again in W20. I mm -hmm. love that the combat section in W20 was braced with all that. And I will talk about that when we get back to W20. But the, <laughs> the fight between Mari and Albrecht is just a masterpiece. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty legendary in uh, gaming illustration circles. I don't actually know that there is actually gaming illustration circles, but I'm starting one. So if anyone would like to join, let me know. But yeah, no, I, I do. I love this art, um, you know, and, and they clearly were like, just make the art and we'll put the, the, we'll do the layout around it. Yep. Which is mostly okay. Yeah. It's a little strange in a couple places. Um, clearly the, there wasn't quite enough they didn't write enough to like make this too big of a chapter but the yeah. they were like the art will make up for it yeah just fluff it with yeah. art you know, yeah no no but I, no it's super fun there there are a couple instances in this uh sequence that it's a little hard to follow because there's so much uh frenetic energy to the line work but i don't think you're supposed to be looking at these pieces individually anyway so it's right. not super distracting and it's the silver pack it's it's albrecht and evan and mari fighting what i think is a nexus crawler i thought there was only two werewolves in there there are only three two, no but i don't think no, no there's there, only two there are three tell us about the third where's the third am i making a third one up you are it's you just are. evan and mari no 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 on no, page it's not even evan and mari on yeah. page it's two not Evan and Mark. On page 248 and 249, there are three werewolves. There is a, uh, unless... I, thought, I assumed that was her transforming. Mm, maybe. One is transforming. She's but leaping. The character is, is leaping and changing form. On 249, that is Evan. That has to be Evan, and that is Mari. I'm, I'm not going back on that. I'm positive. It is at least the two of them, and you're right. It's only two, probably, but... All right, then I'm very disappointed in the fact that Mari's just hanging out in a trench coat with nothing else on. I don't really think it's Evan Mari. and Mari because I think that the way that the transformation makes Evan look, it looks like he has a one of those Egyptian fake beards on, which makes me think Mephi faster than death, no, which I, is what he... The, I, but I the, think the, that's his braid. <laughs> I just think that's his like braid that is ha happens to be hanging in the front of his face in that. Technically... Anyway, 
we have just anyway anyone <laughs> listening to this is gonna be like oh my gosh guys that was way more like in-depth than you usually even go the storytelling <laughs> chapter is good it has like useful it things is. for a storyteller um but it the is. art does dominate this chapter because it literally takes over the entire page so yeah. the, one of the things i really liked about this at least i hope it's from this chapter I don't know. I need, I need to start writing down my chapters is uh, they talk about game themes mm-hmm. and how it's important to like, be like, you know, this, this entire game is going to be about lost innocence or you're know, like an overarching game theme. And then talking about like meta plots and plots and uh, villains and baddies, although they called them something different. I, adversaries versus enemies is what yep. they call it mm-hmm. um and i think that's very important because you know there there is your adversaries are your your big scary you know villains who have names and backgrounds and hopes and dreams of their own and then your baddies or your enemies are just kind of the peons that you don't have to name they can all be named bob no one's going to care right and uh you know, and i think that's really that's one of those hard things for uh new storytellers to grasp that you don't have to have everything fleshed out in that your main villain should have uh, motivations, yep. not just twirling their mustache. Yep. Unless, right. they're, unless their motivation is to get a mustache. And twirl it. Yes. And twirl it. Um, That's been my motivation. But the motivation thing about it is, is that you have to remember, no one is the villain in their own story. Not even the villain. The villain is doing it for their own reasons right and those reasons to them are perfectly valid mm-hmm. and the worm for all that we love to just say oh it's just evil because it's evil the worm is trapped in the weaver's webs and the only way out is to break as many of them as possible i actually the think weaver, there's a sidebar that says there's in this there book somewhere in about the, like nothing in the next section evil. yeah detect worm is not detect evil, detect evil. Yeah. It's, I love that sidebar. Mm-hmm. Let's actually move to the next uh, chapter with that because this is the antagonist chapter, chapter nine. It gives you, again, all you need to run Fomori, Black Spiral Dancers. It tells you that the uh, Detect Worm is not Detect Evil. It gives you just enough to run Pentax and just enough to run all of the different, um, you get a first team sampler here. I absolutely adore this antagonist chapter because again, it gives me just enough to launch from without belaboring the point. And I'm really happy about it. Like I, w- I would go back to this and be like, oh, what antagonist do I want to pull out from this book today? Right. And you can use them and you can pull, it says, if you have Vampire the Masquerade, write them using those rules. If not, use these rules to substitute their powers. Mm-hmm. If you have Mage, use the Mage rules. Although a Mage against a Werewolf is not a fair fight if the Mage, if the mage gets to prepare. Right. Or if the Werewolves have the 10th Sphere of Gun. <laughs> um, to quote our friend Charles. And uh, Terry. Terry Robinson is the one that came up with the uh, the sphere of gun idea oh well i keep hearing it from charles so that's why i thought i misattributed the quote okay, okay. so terry robinson this 10th sphere of gun if the if the werewolves get the drop on the wizard with the 10th sphere the wizard is screwed but if the if the wizard has any time to prepare you're in for a world of hurt 
but yeah that that's if you want to use those if you want to stick to street werewolf villains you've got the black spiral dancers as the worm shock troops and you well actually that's the femori but the worms generals who can give your werewolves an even footing uh combat you can use them if you want to use something more insidious you use something from pentax or you use a first team or use dead man's hand from dna you use any number things if you want to just wreck their world yank out a nexus crawl and throw it at their cairn watch them throw all throw all of their friends away trying to stop a beast this powerful and jerry go, yes go jerry nuts. go ahead <laughs> so when i was reading the nexus crawler i think they're aliens i think you're right i think they are aliens <laughs> they have reality warping powers the way they're described absolutely fits the like way some of the other alien things have been uh, <laughs> described in Werewolf. Like, sorry, again, Jim, we are like, we're finding aliens everywhere. They are everywhere. <laughs> but like, it totally tracks. So I'm with you, Carrie. Okay. I find it warping reality is probably the giveaway that there's something a little bit more than just worm about them because warping reality i would think would be a wild power it, I, I, i'm with you i'm telling you aliens they are aliens they, like, <laughs> i'm gonna pull the vujunka out of first edition there in w22 i'm gonna pull them out and be like with my nexus brawler we're gonna get on our you know, flying saucer <gasps> they Ooh. could ride them <gasps> horrible okay it's be great the appendix we are all the way at the appendix Alien. provides us our last couple of things that you absolutely have to have one they give you the stargazers not enough to play uh, an elder stargazer but enough to play well actually you probably could play an elder stargazer with all the gifts here they give you enough to play the stargazers if you still want them they do this again in the storyteller's companion they basically give you all of this stuff again they give you a two full two-page spread i'll talk about that when i get to that book but it's good if i'm like if a player's like i really like the stargazers you really yeah you've got enough here you can go all right you can play a stargazer we can make that happen and it gives you enough story throughout this book to be like this is how you could play a stargazer that stayed in the nation and how that works and not everybody trusts you and that's okay like you're gonna have to that's play the fun role that. play of it right yeah it gives you all or the totems you can be like the person in my game who was just min-maxing or not my game but a friend's game just min-maxing like you know the best way to start is when you do a is when you do a stargazer lupus or rune right right because right. you get five of everything mm-hmm. yeah hey, it, folks. It, hey folks i'm gonna be judgy for a second don't do that right play a character you want to play don't worry about the stats right the stats will come and you get all the other cool things you need in this chapter yeah. you get your totems you get your uh, fetishes your all your different claves and your talons and everything like you'll get more stuff in other books that's cool you get hammer and clave you can make your own you can, it holds a whole system for it oh i can't wait for that that's gonna be a fun discussion it's gonna be good but like i this is enough for me like i'm always happy for more but as a storyteller, it's nice to have a single consolidated thing that you're like, this is the list you can choose from. Mm -hmm. So can I go off topic just for like a two minute little thing? Yep. As I was going through this whole thing, I'm looking at all the characters, or the, all the spirits and all that. And I came upon uh, Glade Child. And that triggered a memory from 20 years ago when I ran a LARP. 
I ran a, ch- a glade child that appeared in, on the, the bond. And it, I've spent the past two days trying to remember its name. Like I'm contacting all my old players. I'm asked, you know, I've got one, I had one person who went through my Facebook and like did a search for, for, you know, Glade Child and, and anything with Rage Across the Dunes and, and all this. And its name was Tangle Toes. Yay, I remembered. That's a good name though. <laughs> so good. It was such a good little NPC. Awesome. So what was, what was special about Pangle Toes aside from the interesting name? Um, Tangle Toes, when it appeared, uh, it had super long uh, fingers and toes that would uh, tangle on itself as it would like stare at people and its eyes floated on its head. And so it would, if, if it got bored with you, its eyes would go to the back of its head so it could not look at you. And it was mostly just there for uh to break tension in uh you know like if people were fighting he -hmm. would just kind of like be in the background and the cubs would go hang out with him or you know it would uh it it didn't have a lot of worth but the characters all fell in love with it and so like when the sep or when the karen was attacked at one point its tree got injured and they pumped as much gnosis to save that tree as they did to save their septotum. That's awesome. because if you get adopted by a player character as one as their mascot, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, he wasn't all the you have to do, Right. Yeah. All you have to do to get the player characters to jump for whatever plot you have in mind, watch who they adopt. Mm-hmm. If they adopt if they adopt a little friend like that, oh. Yeah. Tangletoes. Tangletoes yeah, got dragged off by Banes. You better go do something about that. Because Tangletoes might have something horrible happen to them if you don't do something. When I first started storytelling, the, the guy that was storytelling with me, he told me that uh, all storytellers were on Path of Night. <laughs> yes. Um, and no, he was no like, lies detected. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, and he goes, and I don't understand. He goes, but you're like on like you are evil he goes you make them fall in love with things and then kill it you kill their loves and i was like i just do what i thought was right (laughs) (laughs) so anyway nice so (laughs) awful good in real life but put me behind a gm screen i become chaotic Mm -hmm. evil (laughs) so we are at the end of this book and (laughs) my very favorite page is right before the index This epilogue is from Antonine Teardrop, and it is an apology to Albrecht and the rest of his pack for leaving the Garou Nation. It's a Dear John letter. It it, it, it means absolutely nothing to a new player. The first time I read that, I said, meh, whatever. Now that I have read 50 books, I realize the resonance of this character and their importance to the rest of the characters he's writing the letter to. And it's super useful if I want to run the Stargazers leave the Garu Nation plot. And I think that's cool. It's it's an example of how to use the meta plot really well in Werewolf, which sometimes doesn't get the meta plot used well it just kind of gets like 
not poorly, but like not enough attention to it. So it's really nice to see it used just enough to be really good. Fair. We've got to make a decision here. Um, we've got to rate this book now. Uh, we are going to rate it um, 10 silver bells. How many silver bells? Totally random. Yeah, the bells. Let's go bullets at least. No, no bells. Silver bells. bells no, no bells. bullets. Wolves is wild west. Um, <laughs> Silver bullets to kill werewolves. I get Play. it. But oh. we're not supposed to be killing werewolves. We bells are werewolves. Bells are weird. Silver bells. bells. Weird. How many silver bells out of ten would you give this book, Carrie? I would give it zero. I'm going to give it nine silver anything claws anything else. I think I think this book is. If you are, this book is pretty essential. I mean, it is essential. If you're going to play werewolf, I think this may be the best edition, maybe. Um, and and it's got everything you'd need. I mean, there's always something to pick at, but that's I enjoy picking at stuff. So, mm-hmm. so I would give it a nine. Jim, what would you give it? I have to echo that sentiment. Although I'm going to give it silver claves. Agreed. Because that's the weapon we werewolves pick up and use. Sometimes against each other, but most of the time it should be against the worm. Did you not read the disclaimer? We're not werewolves. I know. Remember that? I know, but you've got to keep in mind. Yeah. (laughs) But yes, uh, this is what you need to run werewolf in the modern nights. And it gives you more than the Dark Ages book that I would have given a similar rating because it gives you lots to do. It gives you lots of things going on that are broken. In a few pages, we give a sense of the war all over the world. We are literally fighting to save the world and our society and fix everything that's wrong in our society and fix the world and persuade the humans to stop destroying themselves. And, oh, we've got stuff to do for days. As a a storyteller, I should never have a problem keeping my player characters gainfully employed in solving all the problems of the world. Oh, and you get to pop claws and go destroy things while you're at it and play with, let loose some of that latent rage, a little violent passion surrogate for you here. So uh, yeah, pick this up and run yourself some werewolf because if as a, it's nice, it's compact and a relatively breezy for a role-playing book of what? 300 plus page, 309. If you count yeah. the index, yep. 309 pages is relatively breezy for a, book and it doesn't feel like that much because i read through it much faster than i've done previous core books it's got everything you could possibly want and need so the only thing left to be desired is room to write in the margins so i'm going to stick with my silver bells even if no one else is going to silver bells i'm going to give this book again uh, as you all did nine silver bells out of ten it is um i like mechanically the rules in w20 a little bit better but like that is a tiny margin like it is there are just slight mechanical things in w20 that i think are better designed revised is really good if you had to go out and and, and buy a single werewolf book and you're like i can only afford one I, i'd probably go with this i'd even like i i love w20 but I'd probably say revised like is absolutely fine for you to do that. And probably 
maybe even a little more encouraged. Like I say that as a lover of W20. Mm-hmm. And when we get to it, I'm, I'm going to rave about W20. But there's, there's something to be said for this being slightly smaller. So thank you, both of you, for joining me on this probably going to be extended episode, which is going to need a lot of editing. Um, I want to remind folks that are listening to follow us on, um, on Podbean or anywhere else, leave a review on iTunes. I don't mention that very often, but like Mm. leave a review for us. Reviews are great. I love hearing feedback. Like I got, I've got anxiety. So it's nice to hear from people that say nice things. Yeah. But that's because all the feedback is Josh is great. I don't like that new Carrie girl though. It's please don't. (laughs) I haven't even heard about me yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> please provide positive feedback for my co-host and I because we need it we, it validates us um, until we finally get an answer to the question when will you rage I'll talk to you again next time